Well, guys, hey, welcome to the Springs. My name is John Onquist. I serve as pastor here at the church, and we are really glad you're here. Whether you're from out of town and you're just visiting, or you're here for the river and you're checking it out, whether you've come in to work for a summer job and then you'll head off somewhere else, or you've just been a local here for a long time, wherever you are, welcome. I got the chance two weeks ago to watch something for the first time I had never seen. It's kind of the, the evening, right in that time slot where my wife and I, we have a two and a half year old, so the kind of witching hour for us is like six to 7.30 when we go down and we try to almost navigate dinner and how can we drag out dinner because you gotta get her ready for bath and spend all the time. And we had all this extra time. So we turn on the television and I got to watch for the first time, America's Got Talent. Any AGT fans here? Okay, all right. Hey, thank you, a couple folks. Well, if not, if you're looking for like a family show, it honestly felt like one of the most suburban things I've ever done in my life. But we just sat there as a family, and we watched America's Got Talent together. And man, it's the first time I'd ever seen it, come to find out. It's in its 14th season, so someone's watching the show. But the show is, and you get the premise just by the, by the title, I'm guessing. It's just a massive talent show. Now, it says it's for America, but I kept seeing people from other countries coming to compete in it. But it's essentially a talent show. Now, it's singers, musicians. There was a a magician, there was a comedian, there was, uh, as we'll see in a moment, like um, artists and a, and a violinist that came on, and it was honestly pretty encouraging. Like, you got to see some of this. They always attach, like, a story to the people that get up there on the stage where you get to hear some of the background. Some are great, some are terrible. You get the show, right? There was one, though, that just stood out. Never watched this show. I'm coming into it. I think it was like a Wednesday afternoon, come home from work, I'm hanging out, sitting there with my daughter Lily, my wife Taylor, watching the show, and they begin to tell the story that this young boy, he comes up, he's 11 at the time, all right, and he's going to play the violin. So I think, all right, cool, 11-year-old playing the violin. They begin to do a background story, and as soon as they start into it, man, I'm already basically worthless at that point. They start talking about at seven, how he was diagnosed with cancer. How as part of the cancer, the kids at school, they started spreading a rumor about him. But hey, you can't be friends with him. Because if you do, you'll end up getting cancer too. It'll spread like any other cold. So there he is, seven, undergoing chemo, going to school, and feeling alone. Single mom. And immediately, like, you get it. It's America's Got Talent. They're like trying to pull on your heartstrings. Like, I know the agenda, and it's totally working. Like, sick kids, I'm done. I'm watching this show, and he begins to talk about how after school, there was this program where you could go and learn to play the violin, and he just said, hey, mom, I, I want to go do that. And so I think he starts from about the age eight, continues practicing up until 11. What I want to do, and there's nothing amazing besides this young man playing this violin who just gets after it. And so what I want to do is I just want to take the next minute and a half to watch it because it stood out to me, and he was so impressive. So if you will, just turn your attention up to these screens. We're going to check out this clip. That was literally about the moment. I'm like sitting in my living room. There's this little love seat. We're all kind of sitting on it, and literally like there's tears coming down, and I'm just like, yes, Tyler! Yes! How do I vote? You don't get to vote in this one, <laughs> right? You don't get to vote. But man, he got up there, and not only like gifted talented. When I was 11, I could barely tie my shoes and look at what he's doing. 
right? Gifted and talented. But there was just something like unique and special. Yes, it's part of the story. Yes, it's cancer survivor. He's currently in remission. He's been in remission, I think, for a year. But there was just something special about it that it just stood out. And like for the folks who know the show, he gets this golden buzzer, which I've never seen, which means he wins, but he doesn't quite win yet. It's like this great moment for this young man. And he sits up there and he gets to see this. It was just special. I share that because there's this moment where you're just watching him and and the young boy was just stand out for something. He just popped from the others. I, I watched other people who were amazingly talented, who did all these things, but he just stood out. The the reason I share that is I think that's what God wants for Christians. I think God wants for people who believe in him, those who call him father, those who believe in him, them to stand out. Now, now here's what really matters when I I talk about something like that. What, What I'm not talking about is he has gifts and talents and there's this platform and you get on national television, everybody gets to applaud him. One, he's 11. Bless that kid. He should. I'm much more mean as Christians when I talk about standing out. It's how there's something that we so deeply, so sincerely, with such real conviction, we claim we love. Does it stand out? Like, is that a distinguishing characteristic of of your life? Is a distinguishing characteristic of mine? You see, because we all want to stand out. We, We all do. It doesn't matter who you are. Like this morning, you put on something that you thought you looked good in. Someone came up to me, and they were like, do you wear black because it's slenderizing? And I was like, thank you. And, yeah, kind of. My wife told me to buy five black t-shirts because she didn't like my wardrobe before, so I just started wearing that. It's true. Yeah, you can laugh at that. (laughs) It's all right. It's one of those where we all want to stand out. Like, remember the last time you went to a job interview? Maybe some of you here, you're in a summer job, or you just went through interviews, or you're looking for a job, or you've just done it in the past. Your intention is to stand out. You put on makeup to stand out. Some of us go to the gym to stand out. We put money in a retirement account so one day we can stand out. We buy a house in a certain neighborhood so we can stand out. We all, in different ways, want to stand out. Like we put time towards it. We put effort towards it. We put energy towards it. But the question is, do we, do we put energy towards standing out in what matters most? Like towards standing out in what we say at the core of us is at the depth of faith. There's this beautiful passage. It's in Matthew chapter 5. You don't have to turn there. Where Jesus says, he says, let your light shine before others so that they can see your good deeds. Stand out, shine bright, and then what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Guys, the reason I get so excited about this is because I want the thing in my life to stand out to be the fact that I have a sincere love for Jesus Christ. And that should have nothing to do with the fact it's part of my professional job. That's not a pastor thing. That's not a vocational ministry thing. That is a Christian I think I get so excited because where we are in the text, if you've been with us, we're working our way through the book of 
Philippians. We're at the very beginning where Paul, he's starting this letter in this church, this, this gathered group of believers in Philippi. Northeast, this, this town in modern-day Greece, this gathered group of believers in Philippi, they stood out. They were different to Paul. There was something special about them. Paul celebrated, he thanked a lot of different churches, but this one, man, there's this emotive, passionate language in how he cares. Church, if you believe in Christ, God wants you to stand out. Now, as I continue to, to reinforce that, again, what I'm not saying is you be glorified. What I'm saying, man, is the thing that distinguishes you is your love for him. Guess what that does? It glorifies the king. God wants you, he wants me to stand out. In this church, it stood out. I think that's such a, a differentiator of the Christian faith, too. Like, if you don't really like Christians or we're a bunch of hypocrites to you uh, because we can tend to be, or, or basically, like, the church and all of its baggage is just a total letdown to you. Here's what's different for folks who, who really get it. Most of the world chases, look at me, look at me, look at me. Instagram account, wardrobe you wear, clothes you buy, car you drive, you, you pick whatever you want, look at me. Christians who stand out live a life that basically just says, look at him, look at him, look at him. Everyone is trying to stand out for their own accomplishes, accomplishments. How rare is it where you find Christians where the only thing they want to be known for, and it doesn't matter if they're, they're a lawyer, a physician, a nurse, a stay-at-home discipler of the family, a, a, a teacher, a banker, they flip hot dogs. It doesn't matter. The number one distinguishing characteristic, I want to be known for my love of Jesus Christ. I want to stand out. That's what we see here at the church at Philippi. That's what I want to spend the time talking about, how God wants you and me to stand out. We're going to see that happen in Philippians chapter 1. We're, we're going to look at uh, five verses, verses 3 through 8. Well, we're going to really see how the way to do that is you first, you partner in the gospel. And we'll explain what all that means. And then second, I love this, you rest in the gospel. I thought about instead of saying partner in the gospel, rest in the gospel, I, I thought about using language because here's my mind goes. The way you stand out is you do work. And the way you stand out is you rest well. To remind you guys where we were last week, Paul, he's writing this letter from a prison cell in Rome to this church in Philippi. We'll talk about, hey, why is he writing it today? What led to it? What brought it about? But he's writing this letter just before he introduced the whole thing where we talked about last week, man, titles matter how you view yourself, how others view you, and how we shepherd this body, titles matter. And where we'll be today is Paul. He begins to open the content in the letter. And in his opening, what he's going to do is he's going to celebrate this church. That's really where he's going to focus this week. He's celebrating the church in Philippi. And where we'll go next week is you're going to see him transition to, okay, what's he going to pray for them? Where does his heart so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read verses 3 through 8, 
And then I'm going to come back, and we're going to do something a little different today, right? Where we're going to read after 3 through 8, we're going to read 3 through 5, and then we're going to set aside verse 6. So some of you are going to think I forgot about verse 6. I didn't. That's what we're going to come back to. And we're going to read verses 7 and 8. And that's where we'll be this morning. So if you got a Bible, you can turn there, check it out on your phone, do whatever you'd like. I'm going to read 3 through 8. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. This is Paul being grateful for the church in Philippi. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Guys, this church stood out. First thing I want to do is I want to read some of these verses and kind of, kind of pulling out the majority of this text. And I want to talk about how we are called to partner in the gospel. But I'm going to read it just through one more time. But this time, again, remember, I'm going to skip verse 6. We're going to come back to it, and I'll connect the dots. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Jump down with me down to verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Guys, the first thing that really comes is we see how God, he wants you to stand out. He wants you to stand out because within you there is a sincere, a robust, an actual intimate love for him. In order for that to happen, we have to partner with him in the gospel. We've got to partner with him in the gospel. Let, let me show you how that happens in this text. The way I want to do that, though, is first I want to talk about why does Paul feel so deeply about them? Like, why do they stand out? Did you catch some of the language that Paul uses through this where he ends it with how I yearn and affectionate? But this emotive language, if you saw it through the text, it builds. So what I want to do is I just want to walk us through some of that. The first thing you see Paul do right there in verse 3 is right out of the gate. He says, hey, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Like when Paul thinks about this little church in Philippi, this town that beat him with rods and imprisoned him, the faithfulness of the people there, the resilience of what, what would have been probably about 11 years since that time, this group of gathered believers enduring the persecution. Staying faithful in the midst of it, telling people, even though at that point it was still technically illegal to proselytize the Christian faith, telling folks, no, 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 you got to believe in Jesus. Here's what he did. He came and he changed my life. Maybe it was Lydia, if you remember from Acts 16, this leader of industry who was considered this worshiper of God, but didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. Her life was changed. Maybe it was a slave girl that was possessed by a demon who Paul came and drove the demon out and her life has changed to where she's no longer known for slavery. She's no longer known for the objectification of what she can do and bring to others. 
but there's a sense of justice and dignity in her life that she has a new faith. Or maybe he's thinking of that jailer, the guy who put him in prison, who realized, I've never been in control. The God of this man is in control. He trusts Christ. His whole family trusts Christ. They like lead a prison break, and then they break back into prison. He's thankful. The next thing you see, so if thankfulness is where he goes, he's building, and he, he gets to joy right there in verse 4. Or he's talking about when he prays, he says, hey, making my prayer with joy. Like, do you happen to have any of those people in your life? It can be about any topic, but in particular faith, that when you think about them, there's a sincere sense of, thank you, God. Like, you're grateful for them. But there's also just like a joy like when you get around them because of who they are, like so many times people, they want to be the, a proverbial fountain, right? Fountain, life-giving, water overflows, caring for others. We all consider ourselves, oh, I'm a fountain. Far too often Christians are gutters or drains. These people were fountains. They brought joy to him. They're bringing joy to a man who sits in a prison cell his affection. He keeps going right, right down. Now we're skipping verse six and he comes into seven. He says, and what does I do? I hold you in my heart. It's this euphemism of, man, I, I, I take what's true of you and I cling to it. It's a reminder to me, the heart. It was his, his inner well-being. Their faithfulness so stood out that Paul, he would recall it to mind. He would remind himself, no, look at what he's doing. Look at how they're getting after it. Look at how they're being faithful. And how's he ended? He says, man, how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Yearn there. It literally, it just means long. And then affection, it was this great word studying. I'd never known this about affection. It's literally a Greek reference to internal organs and bowels. It was the, the strongest Greek word you could use for a sense of compassionate love. It had that sense of almost like, I just, I just love you. Do you have anyone in your life, spouse, perhaps a child, family member, a niece, a nephew, that like you just get that moment where you just think about them and there's just a real love. I can remember my dad always told me, hey, John, you'll just understand something like that when you're older. He used kids. You can use it with other relationships and kids. You don't have to have kids to feel this. But he used kids. He's like, you'll just understand what that love is like when you have kids. I remember like, that's such a cop out. He was kind of right to where I look at my daughter, man, and there's just something visceral that just says, she's mine. I love her. Affection. Right? That, that's how he feels they've stood out. But then we got to see, okay, so that's how he feels. But then we got to also see in this text, why? That, that's how they partnered with the gospel. Why did they stand out? And you see that there through that key phrase, right back up there in the top of four. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Partnership here, it's this amazing thing where it's almost the image of you get, if you grew up in church, you've probably heard an analogy like this. You get off of the sidelines and into the game. Anybody ever heard something like that? 
Okay, if not, I'm telling you something like that. It's the reality of, hey, you can get off the sidelines and into the game. You can know all about baseball. You can know the, the bases, the plays, the throws, uh, right field, center field. I shouldn't have picked baseball. I don't know that much about baseball. You can be the catcher. Like, there's three strikes and an out, four balls, all that kind of stuff. You can know all that. Huge difference between being the guy who sits on the sidelines knowing all about and being the guy or the gal who steps into the game and plays means fellowship, sharing in. Paul will use language later, kind of describing the same thing, partaker of the gospel, partaker of grace. This church had stood out in the way they'd done work. They partnered with Paul. The first way that they partnered, guys, is just in the belief and the faith of the gospel. For the longest time, I grew up in church, and I thought what God wanted from me is be a better version of myself, Stop looking at porn, stop fooling around, stop drinking, stop wanting to find a drug that I actually like that I could use even though it never really worked for me. Go to church. Read a Bible. I can remember waking up to go read a Bible at a Starbucks. I had no idea what I was reading. I didn't want to do it. It was pure obligation. It's just because I was trying to fix myself. I did not know God. Partnership in the gospel comes in the realization I do not work for a relationship with him. He died for a relationship with me. That on the cross, he paid the penalty for all of my brokenness, past, present, future, yours too. It doesn't matter the worst of you, the part that you don't want to tell anybody, the part that you keep hidden, the part where it's like, no, 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 but this is different. It's not. Like the cross extends you forgiveness. Christ rose from the grave just to prove the whole thing's true, change the calendar, change lives. They partnered with him as they just came to believe that. They didn't behave for it. They believed in it. That's the first way they partnered. The second way they partnered was, was a very practical way. It's one of the, the unique things, actually, that we'll see throughout this book is they put their money where their mouth was. They sent Paul a check. They'd sent him multiple checks before, but they sent Paul a check. Here's why this is uh, a little unique, right? If anyone goes to prison here or jail or anything like that, or if you've served time, then here's what we all understand. At that point, you are overseen. You are a steward of the state. The state turns on the lights. The state pays for the utilities. The state pays for breakfast, lunch, dinner. If you get injured, the state pays for medical care in the infirmary. You are financially supported by the state. That's what happens today. First century Roman government, they put you in prison, but they did not support you. Who supported you? Friends, family, and for Paul, the church of Jesus Christ. These people literally sent, sent him money and likely with that papers and quills and all this stuff to where he could financially sustain himself, to where he did not die in his jail cell. They put their money where their mouth was. They, they literally stepped in to say, you are seeking to advance the gospel we're with you. And then there was a third way. Even without writing a check, they in their own hometown, they got after it. You see this here where it talks about being a partaker with me of grace. It's down there in verses seven, right? It's kind of the same theme. Paul, he's doubling down on partnering with me in the gospel. You're a partaker with me of grace. You're sharing in this. 
both in my imprisonment, the support that you'd sent me, and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. Those two words are these legal terms. Some scholars think Paul's putting that there because he's literally having to go before a Roman trial and make a defense for the truth of Jesus Christ in his life. That very well may be true. But here's what's absolutely true. That all the while Paul was on multiple missionary journeys, taking these trips, discipling people, planting churches, getting after it, they stayed in one town. They started with one block, and they said, this changes by the grace of Jesus Christ. I gotta go tell that neighbor. I gotta go tell that guy I work with. You gotta go share that with his wife. This part changes Paul came, he introduced, he's got to go tell other people, God left us here. He's on mission there, we're on mission here. Getting off the sidelines, getting into the game. And the part that I love too, there's this phrase in here that talks even about a timeline for it. Paul says, from the first day until now. What have been out again? About 11 years. Paul's saying, hey, you have been faithful over an extended period of time. So many times when it comes to faithfulness, we all have this tendency to have like this big flash in the pan moment. And Paul's saying, no, I've seen this faithful burn in you for years, imperfect, but yielded to God. That is stand out. I always think about it this way. Uh, With the music industry, Right? There's people who can come and have a, a one-hit wonder, tremendously talented, all that kind of stuff, uh, one-hit wonder. I'll give you um, my Sharona. No, 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 no. Anybody know who sings that? Yeah, I had to look it up too. They got one hit, the crank, right? Compare that to, they started in 1976, U2. You two didn't just have one hit, but they had hit album after hit album after hit album after hit album. An extended season. Guys, that's really hard. Paul's saying, he's like, I knew you had bad days. I saw you in the beginning and I see you now. Like, their faithfulness, it's not younger folks. Actually, most of y'all, I bet, will get this. Old Town Road. Yeah, dude. If you don't know it, don't go look it up. Total one-hit wonder, if it's a wonder. Right? Compare that to Justin Timberlake. What he's saying is these people, there'd been a perseverance. There'd been a steadfastness of the soul. That stands out. What does God want from you? It's the same thing he wants from me. Stand out. The question there is, let me ask you. Do you? Like in your own life, for the glory of God alone, do you have a standout faith? Like I I really, I self-examine my own life with this, and I think it helps to think about relationships. Right? For you, if, if you're single, right, think through your best friend, closest friend, is the number one distinguishing factor in their life. They say, what do they care about most? Do they answer, Jesus. What do they love most? Answer, Jesus. Is that what your best friend would say? 
If you're married, is that what your spouse would say about you? No one rises above the opinion of their spouse. Or is that what your children would say about you? What about your colleagues at work? Sure, you're a really nice person. Yes, you are extremely kind. Uh, You help. You bring like sliced oranges for soccer practice for kids. But to the other people, do the other people who sit on those bleachers as you watch the game, do they know, oh, that, that's the religious family. These are the Christian folk. They're, they're actually really fun to be around. But if you talk to them, they're going to bring up Jesus. I'm just telling you. Like, church, is that us? Like, do you stand out in the way that you date differently? Or you pursue holiness in the midst of it? Do you stand out in the way to where you don't hide behind false intimacy when you get to know somebody by using technology? But you come to actually care for them, rather growing in the way more and more people are, just an objectification of a person. Like, do you stand out as you plead for a heart that says, God, I am so imperfect, so broken, never having it together fully, but would you help me to be faithful? God wants you to stand out. He wants me to stand out. He wants us to get in the game. I, I think how we do this, guys, like if you're here and, and you go to the Springs, I'm going to talk to you for a second, and you're in a community group, you would take that seriously. You know what stands out? The person who doesn't need to ask, are we going to meet this week? The person who says, I'll be there. You know what stands out? The person who, when someone says something that everyone else in the room knows, oh, someone should say something, They're gracious, they're kind, they lean in and say something. You know what stands out? The person who, even though they've said for like years and years, I'm going to read through the Bible, they stop holding themselves to that and they just fight to carve out a simple time, a plan, and a place to just meet with God. You know what stands out? People who take sin seriously, who actually confess their self-righteousness, their greed, their anxiety, their gluttony, their heterosexual, their homosexual sin, whatever way. That's stand out. You know what stands out? The person who, yes, yes, we all are, like, like terrified to share their faith. And yet they come and they engage with a server, they engage with a waiter, they engage with a person in their office, they engage with another teacher at school. And there's like that sense of timidity and nervousness, yet they know, okay, man, I just feel like I got to share with them. I just feel like I got to share with them. And they just say something like this, hey, I know this may sound strange, but I was just wondering, do you happen to have a faith? If not, would you mind if I just share with you a little bit about mine? And you fumble your whole way through it for the glory of God. That's actually partnering That's actually doing work. He wants you to stand out for that. He wants that to be the distinguishing characteristic in your life and in mine. That's not just a me thing. That's a we thing. That's a believer in Christ thing. And guys, that's what this church, a church is just a gathered group of believers. That's what this church was known for. That's what we want to be known for. You guys remember how I said, hey, we're not going to forget verse 6. What I want to do now is really come back and look at verse 6 through the context 
of how Paul, he's called this church and just being stand out. Because here's what you'll see as he's celebrating his love for them, as well as how they are living for Christ. You see, there's affection and there's action. There's love and there's living. Right in the midst of that, he, he puts this beautiful promise, this beautiful assurance, this beautiful comfort. And that, that's why I want to say this at the end and then tag it on, because this is what fuels. This is why we partner. So jump back with me, verse 6, uh, back in your Bibles, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, he'll bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The second point as we think through, how do you and I have a faith that stands out? We partner with the gospel. We do work, but we must rest in the gospel. We must rest really well. I'll explain what I mean there because you could use the word trust in the gospel. You could use a lot of different things. I'm trying to create like an emotive sense of, because here's what the Bible does. The Bible calls us to excel still more, to do more and more, but be doers of the word, not hearers only. It tells you, you cannot be godly without discipline. I have never met a mature Christian that was not disciplined in their pursuit of God. The two things are mutually exclusive. You cannot float by your feelings on your way to faithful maturity. But here's what's true. He puts this promise in here to remind you and to remind me. God led us to this love that we care so much about in the first place. He began it. He gave it. He helped us then. He will help us all the way into eternity. It's a comfort. That's what we rest in. Let, let me explain what Paul's saying through this. And I'm sure of this. He, he starts out, and I'm sure of this. He, he's just saying, I don't have to wonder about this at all. I have no doubt. I have no insecurity. I have a, the way I think about it is like, I have a death grip on this reality. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That God, that's the he who began, it, it started with him. The good work, it's salvation. It's the reality of salvation, but it includes more than just a moment of what I would call justification. The, the moment when you just believed and your life changed, you go from sinner to saint by faith, not by effort. It includes that but it also includes the moments where you try to grow in your faith, where you try to mature in it, where you actively say to God, I want to look more like you, yet I'm so good at staying the way I am. Will you help me? It's your justification and your sanctification. And then there's this beautiful promise. He began a good work and you will bring it to completion. Your Bible, it, it may say perfection. It's the reality that you and I, if you're a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit within you. That Holy Spirit is a mark of you have a changed life. You're a new creation. No matter how much, even in your sanctification, your growth in faith, no matter how much in that, that you're a new creature, you still have old, painful, sorrowful tendencies. He'll help you get there. To help you come to a point where there's glorification, where I won't have to pray the prayer, God, would you please enlarge my heart because I should be more faithful than what I am. 
I won't have to pray the prayer. God, would you please help me? I should be more holy. That I won't have to plead with God, man. I, I have watched countless Netflix, but how much time have I spent with you? I'll just want to spend it with him. Well, I won't have to come, and every time it comes to the stewardship of my resources, I had that internal war of he calls me to give, and I know it's better, but I want it. I won't have that feeling. I won't have that feeling where I go up and I want to share my faith with somebody, but I punk out. And I won't have that feeling of, man, am I enough? You won't have that feeling either. Why? Because one day, when he returns, he's just going to fix it all. Church, it's this promise that's meant to be the antidote in your life and in mine against, against two different things. Discouragement. That feeling in the sense of, oh, but I've tried to read my Bible. I fail every time. Why even try? Discouragement. Oh, hey, I know I'm not supposed to be looking at these things, but honestly, I can't tell anybody because I can't stop. Discouragement. Oh, hey, I know I'm not supposed to be controlling in the home and I'm alienating my kids because I have good reasons and my ideas are always better than theirs, but in reality, I'm just domineering. You don't have to wrestle with that. That friends who come and who plead for a spouse and who wait for a spouse and who long for a spouse insert their child you don't have to long. You don't have to wait. We'll finally be complete. It's this beautiful promise where he sang in the midst of it, as you partner, rest. As you strive, I'm going to help you. And even when you fall, even if you make a mess of it, you're mine. And one day I'm going to make you perfect. One day you'll be nothing but glorious. Guys, really resting in the reality of that, knowing there's nothing I can do to where God will love me more. I can't earn more of his love because he loves me. There's nothing Christ can do besides extend love through his death on a cross. There's no greater expression of love than that. There's nothing more he can do. And saying, so you're telling me the creator of the universe, the one who died for my sins, even though I should have died, you and I, apart from Jesus, we're wicked, man. We are broken. We are selfish. We are, look at us. We take advantage of spouses. We don't serve spouses. We get kids to just do what we want because we like when things go where we want. And when they step out of it, we return in anger. Even in your worst even at the moment that you won't tell anybody about, even though you should, because it would bring you a lot of healing. It's him saying, I got you. In the midst of your marriage, that's broken and painful, and you have no idea where you're going to find the strength to just keep going, I got you. In the midst against a battle, against a sickness, I got you. In the midst of feeling isolated and alone and anxious and nervous and like no one actually cares about you, I got you. We rest in it. People who do that, people who really, really get that, they stand out because they know 
I don't have to earn my father's love. He's given it to me. That, that when I go to change, and yes, guys, transformation requires action. This is not an endorsement of spiritual passivity. No, this reality fuels action. You must be disciplined in the pursuit of godliness. But so many times, you ever feel like, but it's just up to me. I feel alone. I feel tired in it. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do it. I don't know where help is gonna come from. This is Paul reminding this church. This is Paul reminding you and reminding me. He's got you. He will help you. And what happens there? We stand out. That's how Christians go and they live these lives where, where they go and they give themselves away and it actually changes things to where they go and they serve other people and they're actually known is different. Where folks who come around and they're like, why do you do that? Yes, we all have philanthropy. You do not have to be a Christian to be philanthropic, but what I'm telling you is you wanna be a sacrificial servant, I don't see people who will stay in that game long-term unless they're Christian, really sacrificing for it. I was so encouraged. There's a few friends here in our body that are part of it. There's a ministry, many of you may have heard of it. I didn't know much about it years ago, but I've since come to learn about it called Young Lives. What is it? It's a ministry that reaches out and engages teen moms. For folks who go and they serve and they care and they support these teen moms, many of these moms currently and presently in a foster care system. Now, what they do is this ministry, they meet weekly, they do these things, they call it campaigners, but I think it's a Bible study, right? And they do club, which is like a once a month party. What's the whole purpose? They support, help, and then point to Jesus. People who oftentimes at school, their parents tell them to stay away from that person because they're a bad influence. People who oftentimes have extreme trauma in their background and they're a victim of circumstances that they never chose. People who have been hurt, isolated, feeling as if they wear some scarlet letter wearing the kingdom of God. There is no such thing as a scarlet letter. We're all scarlet. And he made us white as snow. That's this ministry. And part of it, what they do is every summer they take some of these gals and they just go to camp. It's like a fun Christian camp where they just go and they get away. There's activities. There's all that kind of fun stuff that you'd kind of associate with camp. They bring in a teacher and then they teach. They talk about Jesus and they send them back. And they hope it's just a moment of refreshment. How do we help you with your kid? But how do we point you to Jesus? Two friends of ours here in this body, they, they give their life to this ministry. Julie, Catherine, and others have served for plenty. Julie, I was talking with her about this time where they went to camp, and she told me this story, right? And, and I'll close with this. She told me this story about how she wanted to see in these gals this kind of standout faith, the way we're talking about it. This standout faith in these gals that are going through. And there was this teacher at this camp came and they had given this talk and used this illustration. And honestly, it sounds like a pretty good illustration that I need to steal one day, right? But he comes, or she comes, excuse me, brings these two glass bottles. And in the middle of the talk, takes these glass bottles, throws one on the ground that shatters. And it was an illustration of that is the brokenness of your sin. It's the brokenness of our sin. There's a second bottle. Takes a second bottle, throws it on the ground, 
it shatters in front of these teen moms figuring out life. Life's hard. Shatters. Sets up with them. This is the brokenness of what others have done to you. The pain that you've had, likely neglect from parents, the drug abuse environment that you grew up in, likely the sexual abuse that's associated in, in everything that comes with it. That's the second form of brokenness. The teacher sends them out because a lot of times pastors will come, they'll teach, and you go to like a small group breakout. They go to this breakout, and, and all these gals are sitting there, and supposedly, as Julie's telling me the story, they're just mad. They're just angry at the reality. There's broken shards everywhere. How does God use brokenness? Like it's one of those where even if you come too close to touch it, like you got to get a dustpan, you got to touch it with something else. Because if you come too close and you touch the brokenness of their life in the same way the brokenness of mine, it'll cut you. There's nothing sanitary. There's nothing clean about it. There's nothing functional. It's brokenness. And these gals are there in anger. And this teacher comes and there's another moment where what she did she took these broken shards of glass and she made this mosaic out of it and showed this beautiful picture, this masterpiece that she demonstrates to, hey, God can take any of the brokenness in your life and piece it back together. Guys, here's what's absolutely true is God will take your brokenness and he will piece it back together. But you want to know what stood out to me? Is Julie's telling me this story. She's celebrating what God wants to do and is doing in the lives of these gals. But you know what stood out to me was hearing? She gives her house away every single week so these girls can come for a Bible study. She knows all their names. She's trying to teach them how to drive. She gives up her own money to say, here, you want this? She had one of them from a time ago come and just live with her. That she, God knits back a masterpiece, but he uses you he wants you to be a part of that. The moment where Julie met, figuratively is coming and she's picking up the pieces, embracing the cuts on her hand because it's never easy. It's never clean. Standout faith isn't. And she is a part of God putting together this masterpiece in these girls' lives. Who knows? Does she get one piece? Does she get half of it? I have no idea. Church. That is stand out. The only reason people do that is because they know, apart from Jesus Christ, I bring brokenness to my life. Not because Julie's special. Not because Julie has a bunch going on, this amazing ability. Nope, she's nervous every time she does it, she says. But just because God was faithful to her, these girls are now her friends. Church, God wants you and he wants me to be stand out. We do that by partnering. We, we must grasp this. We must get in the game. And we do it by resting. He has your back. He will. Even if you unnecessarily stumble the rest of your life to the finish line of glory, guess what happens? You go to glory, and he'll complete you. But with that, man, may we be people who for his kingdom stand out. Let me pray. We'll get out of here. Father, I thank you for the truth of that. I thank you for, for what it means 
in my life. God, would you start with me? Would you enlarge my heart? Would you, would you help me to love you? Not because I'm supposed to, because of this job. Remove the job. I just want to be yours. And would you do that with every single person here? In a world where it's so easy to get confused in a love for you, and then what does it just mean to, to grow up in the, the cultural Christian South? May we be people who stand out, never for self-righteousness, never for look at me, only for sacrificial, servant-hearted faithfulness that points to you. May we give our lives away. I thank you for the gift of this time. Thank you for the privilege. It's in your name we pray, amen. Well, guys, hey, thank y'all for coming and spending the morning with us. As Jonathan shared at the beginning, if you wanna go hang out, check out membership, learn a little bit more, you're welcome to. It's room A, but if not, man, y'all go. Have a great week of worship. We'll see you next Sunday.